Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. And my name is Lucas Stock. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life and the life of Christians uh, as we strive mm-hmm. for start diversity as members of Christ's church. So today, we're in our Christians of History segment we do every single Friday. Uh, without belaboring the points any further than that, Lucas, why don't you introduce us to today's Christian from History? Gladly. We will be talking about Lady Jane Grey. Um, I am kind of interested to see how this episode goes. It was interesting to prepare for it. I I was trying to remember a, a few minutes ago before we started recording if it's just the people I've done or if this is also true of the people you've done on Christians of History or, or for Christians of History. But I I think today's episode is going to be the first person that we talk about that you wouldn't necessarily classify as a, like, I don't know how to put it, like, not 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 a theologian, but someone who who was not a clergy member, pastor, theologian, minister, um, a, you know, someone who who worked or lived kind of like in the church, so to speak, quote unquote. Was was Augustine's mom? Was that Monica? Was she? Does she count? Okay, I forgot. We I forgot about Felicity. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that's a good, that's kind of a good segue too. So like Perpetua and Felicity weren't, but they were martyrs. You know what I mean? Mm. So they, they've kind of like Lady Jane Grey kind of is, is unique in terms of the significance that she has. She was a Christian. She was from history. And um, that technically is all you need to be on this segment called Christians of History. Um, but her contribution, if you can call it that, or at least her, her significance, uh, is definitely, I think, a little bit different than um, we've done, is what I'm trying to say. But it was, I, was, I was trying to, to find somebody kind of interesting, maybe under the radar, like we've talked about, um, as we've sort of been focusing in on, on Baptists and Anglicans for the last few weeks. I wanted to kind of wrap up with someone who maybe people don't really know about. I know I didn't really know anything about her besides her name. So Lady Jane Grey, Jane Grey, who was a lady, was born in October 1537 in Bradgate, Leicestershire, England. She was the great, this is going to get confusing. If, if you've never looked at English, the, the English monarchy, I don't mean the royal family stuff that's going on now. I mean like English history looking at like succession and lines of the of of royalty and stuff um it's a doozy so she was the great granddaughter of king henry the seventh on her mother's side her grandmother was one of henry the eighth's sisters so henry the eighth is the king who broke with rome who thomas thomas cranmer worked with so jane grace grandmother was one of Henry VIII's sisters. That makes Jane Grey's cousin, King Edward VI, who was king after Henry VIII, if I have that right. So Lady Jane Grey was fifth in line for the throne 
after Edward VI. So when Edward VI was king, she was fifth in line for the throne. So clearly that makes perfect sense. It was easy to understand. We can move on. Um, Lady Jane Grey was was extremely well educated. She received tutoring that, uh, you know, in, in her, uh, she, as, as a noble woman, she had access to uh, education that, you know, by the time she was through, or, or at least where she got to in her education, she was capable in Latin, Greek, Hebrew, French, and Italian. Um, I, I feel like when the way that education used to work, first of all, seems to just have worked really well, considering that by the time she was a teenager, she could speak five languages, <laughs> and I can barely speak one. Um, and then also, uh, I feel like the the number of languages that someone is is uh, capable in seems to be like a good measure of how educated they were when we're talking about like the Middle Ages and, and things like that. Um, but what makes Lady Jane Grey really interesting uh, is she was also well known for her committed Protestant beliefs. So by the time that we're, you know, 1537 is when she's born. The Reformation in England is, you know, underway. Things are changing. Things have been changing. Under Edward VI, following Henry VIII's death, lots of changes come into existence. Books of Common Prayer are coming out. You know, it's it's a big time of Reformation, and Lady Jane Grey is all on board with it at this point. So in, in 1551... Her father was made a duke, which brought Jane, instead of just being a noblewoman, she was she was someone who came, she got to spend time like at the royal court now that her dad was a duke. So again, monarchical politics, royal stuff gets a little confusing, but Edward VI was king, but he was still a kid. So he didn't actually rule the country. It was ruled by a regency court made up of people who sort of take responsibility on behalf of the king. Um, Thomas Cranmer was on this court, and he was basically just in charge of church affairs, which is how he was able to get a lot of reforms done um, during this time. But John Dudley was the Duke of Northumberland, um, and he had he had kind of a lot of say on this regency court, and he was also a very strong supporter of the Reformation. So he was a strong supporter of the Reformation. He had a lot of pull in terms of uh, the political sphere. And like I said, Jane Grey's Protestantism was was well known and was strong. And so those like John Dudley, Duke of Northumberland, who who supported the Reformation, kind of wanted her to 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 be pushed up from fifth in line to next in line to become the next monarch once Edward VI died. Um, you know, politically to sort of secure like if, if if whoever is the king or queen is is a committed Protestant, then that means that the Reformation is probably going to be safe, right? So that kind of led to some, you know, political scheming, I guess you could say. Um, so first, that John Dudley married off his his son to Jane Grey, um, and then as the young King Edward the Sixth was dying, he died before he even reached adulthood um the duke of northumberland john dudley persuaded him to designate jane as the heir instead of either his half-sister mary or his half-sister elizabeth um 
Edward was also a Protestant, but again, he was a he was a kid, so it's it's not yeah you, you probably don't want to put too much stock in in that. Um, but both of the half sisters of Edward the Sixth, Mary and Elizabeth, would become queen of of England. At both of them would be queens. Um, Mary is 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 Bloody Mary, and uh, Elizabeth is Elizabeth the First, who uh, was um, instrumental in, in sort of establishing what, you know, the church of England in the form following the reformation that it's more or less sort of continued in since then. Um, so very significant people, but Edward was persuaded to, to, uh, designate Jane gray as the, uh, the heir to his throne instead of either of them who, because they were more closely related to him would have had a, a uh, a better you know claim to the throne. Again, all this stuff it's very <laughs> tedious and lots of intrigue and stuff. Uh, makes for some good soap operas, I would imagine. Um, so on July sixth, fifteen fifty three, Edward the sixth died, and Lady Jane Grey took the throne on July tenth. Apparently, when she was first told that she would be queen, she fainted. So I don't think she was necessarily super thrilled. And I do want to make a note that she was born in 1537, like I said at the beginning, and she's taking the throne on July 10th, 1553. So, you know, if you want to do some quick maths, that's 16 years old, 15 or 16. I don't remember. Her birthday was in October, so she's almost 16. You know, that's kind of a lot going on, I would imagine. Um, However, Mary the half-sister of Edward that I just mentioned, who uh, history has sort of labeled as Bloody Mary, um, had a lot of popular support in the country. And it quickly became apparent to the court and to the the country in general that Jane was not politically going to be able to maintain the throne, even though there were so many people who were kind of working behind the scenes that had gotten her to the point where she was going to be on the throne at all. Um, the, the political situation just didn't work out in such a way that she was going to be able to stay on the throne in order to kind of serve as a Protestant monarch who was going to be able to secure the policies that had been enacted during the Reformation. Um, and then because of this sort of shift in the political winds and, and the support that Mary had, um, just nine days after becoming queen on July 19th, um, Mary was actually declared queen, queen of England. Lady Jane was, was you know, I, I guess, I don't know if you'd say deposed or if you'd say she abdicated. And then she was arrested and sent to the Tower of London to be imprisoned, along with her father, who had helped to install her as queen. Um, so quite a roller coaster month, July of 1553. The king dies, <laughs> new queen who was just a teenager. People don't like her new queen, old queen sent to jail. Just, you know, it, it, it almost sounds like American politics. Um, but, um, so lady Jane gray was, was charged with treason, um, with, to which she pled guilty, which I found kind of interesting. Um, and she was sentenced to death for that treason. Although this sentence was suspended. But in February 1554, her father took part in a rebellion against Queen Mary, which kind of made, you know, didn't paint, (laughs) 
Jane and her family in quite a good light in Mary's eyes, I would imagine. So um, because of that, the the suspension of her sentence was kind of reversed. Um, so Lady Jane Grey, who who at this point can be called the Nine Days Queen, was executed by beheading on February 12th, 1554, uh, at the age of 16. Like I said, she she had uh, quite a, a quite an eventful life, I think we can say, despite being so short and quite a tragic one. I think it doesn't seem. You know all of the all of the ins and outs of the politics and the and the royal family and the you know succession to the throne. It it doesn't really seem like she was really involved so much as she was a apparently well liked at least by her you know uh, court peers and well educated Protestant member of the royal family you know, a distant member, I guess, but um, who was kind of, it seems taken, you know, I don't, I don't know if we want to say taken advantage of, or if we want to say maybe, you know, uh, her own well-being probably wasn't a super high priority for the people who are working behind the scenes. They're concerned with, you know, the security of the country, stability, um, shifts going on in the church and, and how to sort of maintain those those changes and reformations and developments in a way that, um, you know, will, will maintain the unity and the stability and the security of the church, which at this point is so tied in with the nation. Just, you know, there, there's so much going on. It, 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 it's such an interesting time of history. And I think that Lady Jane Grey is a very compelling character because we see what seems to me, at least in, in the sources I was reading, um, uh, well, I guess I shouldn't say sources, but the, the articles I was reading, um, what seems to be a fairly, you know, uh, what's the word, like soft-spoken person, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I didn't read a lot of like, um, you know, very brash sort of personality traits uh, that, sh- that she's remembered for. And maybe that's just sort of how her legacy has come to be told through history. But I mean, at the end of the day, it seems to me like she was a very studious, extremely young lady who was forced into quite a upheaval <laughs> in a pretty short time. Um, and as a result of that, you know, outside of her control kind of fell victim to um, things that really, you know, shouldn't have happened. <laughs> whatever we want to say about, about monarchy or reformation or whatever. Um, I think we can say that, Lady Jane Grey being beheaded at the age of 16 is, is not exactly a, you know, a, a positive thing. Right. Um, and, and I think, crazy. It, yeah. And I think my, my little like speculation on her personality is kind of confirmed with one of the things I was reading mentioned, like it, I, I don't know exactly how reliable this is, but apparently like when she was being brought out to, to be executed, she like had a scarf for a, handkerchief or something and like she she tied it around her own eyes so that she wouldn't be able to see and then she was kind of like lead me you know she was like she couldn't see and she was like reaching for the like the block where you know she'd put her neck to be chopped off or whatever um and was like you know like asking the executioner to like help her find it like like very like i almost stereotypically english i feel like just very like understated almost nonchalant <laughs> um the 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 image 
that we'll we'll put post on social media for this announce uh, the ep- the episode announcement for the, for this one is is a painting of her execution um and and you can kind of see a little bit of that of her kind of like reaching for it you know for the block as she's blindfolded um it's just i don't know quite a compelling character and i think it's you know not to say that this changes anything about my philosophy of doing Christians of history, but um, you know, she wasn't a theologian. She wasn't a, she wasn't a minister in the sense that, that we tend to think she wasn't, um, she, she wasn't, you know, technically a martyr in the sense that she was executed for treason because of, you know, scheming that some Dukes did. <laughs> uh, she, you know, she was obviously a Christian who, um, seemed to have lived her life very Christianly, but that's not technically why she was executed. Although Queen Mary did burn many Protestants at the stake. So maybe she wouldn't have survived Queen Mary's reign, even if she had been kept uh, in the Tower of London instead of being executed after her father took part in that rebellion. So just a very intriguing um, chapter, I think, in, uh, in, in history. Um, but the the overlaps with Christian history, I think, are very significant given her her own Protestant faith and the a lot of this upheaval was tied to the upheavals caused by the Reformation in England at this time. So um, that is a brief introduction to the life of Lady Jane Grey. So two things from me before we wrap her up. One, I I really like when we do Christians that aren't pastors that aren't theologians because the majority of Christians throughout history are not pastors, are not theologians. So the listener, whoever, I mean, whoever you are, whoever's listening to this around the world, chances are you are not a theologian in this, like, you know, the strictest sense, you're not writing theology books and you're probably not a pastor either. And so what I like about Christians of history is we can get a glimpse into what it means to live faithfully in our given context. That was like the big thing for me anyway in wanting to start Christians of history when I was a youth pastor is like helping kids understand like Christians have come before us and here's how they lived where they lived when they lived Mm, Um, and that leads that leads me into kind of like my last thing and I'm sorry if this puts you on the spot if you don't have an answer that's a-okay but I briefly mentioned to you maybe in a text or in passing that it'd be kind of cool if after each Christian of history if we give like a so what or like a how is this important or what can we learn or whatever? So do you have any like nugget of wisdom? Do you have any, you know, it's a little different because uh, maybe of the story that we just heard of lady Jane gray, but is there anything that stands out to you as like a, here's the, so what the practical application, so to speak? Yeah, nothing immediately stands out in the sense I do wish I had I, I had forgotten about that. I do remember you saying that. I wish I had thought a little more about it um, because I do Next think, time. I do think that there there is value in, in all of these stories that we're telling. Um, so while I don't have anything like specific that jumps out at me, what I will say is she actually has some writings that have survived. Um, and if you go to New Wit Church Press, W-H-I-T Church, one word, New Whitchurch Press. Um, it's a really cool, small little publisher um, that they have. They they sell physical books, but they also have all of the texts that they sell just 
printed or not printed, but available online digitally. Oh, um, nice. And uh, it's basically the the idea of New Whitchurch Press is, you know, you know I, I haven't really prepared this. I'm, I'm, you know, pulling it up as I'm saying this um, is is uh, the texts of the English Reformation. So you have things by Thomas Cranmer and, and people like that. But you do have um, a collection of texts by Jane Grey. It's it's mostly letters. Um, and I, I haven't I haven't de- uh, dove into these at all. Um, but if, I mean, she, she like, she wrote a letter to Henry Bullinger, um, who was a major reformer, I think in Switzerland, maybe Geneva. I can't remember. Um, Something like that. And it's, it, it's just available in a very readable, uh, webpage, um, at New Witch Church Press. Um, and, um, like I said, there, there are, there are 10 things they have here. Um, in this collection that they're calling literary remains, um, mostly letters. Um, there's a prayer uh, from before her execution, letter to her father and sister. You know, like there's, it's. I, I think that if you're gonna find something of value in the sense of a lesson or an encouragement or an exhortation, um, I think it's gonna be in these writings that she's left us more so than in um, just the facts of her life, because these are gonna show what she's you know like you're saying how people live where they are set by god how they how people live when and where they live right this is going to show you how she's living when she's living because it's her own words right um so i definitely want like i said i haven't dove gone through at all any of these any of these texts but i do know they're there and and, um they were one of the inspirations for me picking her for today's episode so i do i do know that i want to at least peruse some of these letters and 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 writings that she's left us but i would definitely say like to check that out again new wit church press um if you're interested in lady jane gray and if you're interested in kind of um gleaning insights um personal theological or otherwise from her life and story. I think this would be the best place to, to go for that. Cool. Well, thank you, Lucas, for giving us a little rundown on Lady Jane Gray. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Uh, you're also welcome to email us at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We always welcome your feedback, your questions, episode ideas. Let us know what Christians of history you want us to go over. Uh, we always love suggestions, especially the people that aren't as well known or as, as popular. You know, we've covered people like John Calvin, Martin Luther, uh, but it's fun to do the uh, Lemuel Haynes's and the Lady Jane Grays. So uh, send those our way. Also, make sure that you subscribe so that you stay up to date on when our episodes release. Um, but until next time, peace. Yep. Yeah.